We're starting a new series, and the title of the series is this, Back to the Future. Hence the ugly sweatshirt. <laughs> Back to the Future. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Um, have you ever fantasized about going back into the past and making changes in your life and doing things differently and slapping yourself around a little bit, punching yourself in the stomach, saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you know? You should have done this. You should have... Has anyone ever fantasized about that besides me? I fantasize about that every single night of my life. Every night of my life, I dream about getting a DeLorean and getting in that DeLorean and going back in the past and saying, John Paul, what were you thinking? You should have spent more time with your children when they were younger. You should have served God with a stronger heart. You should have forgiven that person quicker. Why didn't you do things differently in life? And, and you know, when we're young, we, we don't ever think about the past. We always think about the future, which is great as a young person. You know, getting married, buying a house, growing, and we, that's all we think about. But then it's like when we get in our 40s, I think that's when it started for me. When you get in your 40s, all you think about is the regrets. And you think, I'm getting older, and I'm getting older, and I wish and things could have been different. Oh, how I could have spent more time with my family. And oh, how I could have used my finances in a different way. And oh, I should have trusted God in this area. And I shouldn't have let this person bother me. And I should have forgiven them quicker. And all these different things go through our mind. And, 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 and it, seems like, um, it seems like there's nothing we can do about it. It seems like our future is not going to be as good because of our past. It seems like my kids... You know, because I went through a divorce that they're not going to have what they could have. Or because, you know, I made this mistake. I'm not going to have these friends in my life. And all these things come to mind. But I want to teach you in the next eight weeks that God transcends time. God can go back in time to something that happened in your life when you were 15, when you were 25, when you were 35. He can go back in time and he can heal and he can restore and he can do things back in that day that will change the present heart that you have and will completely change the future that you thought you were going to have. Um, um, God does not operate in the sphere of time that we operate in. God created time. He created time. Um, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't, you know, we see time as we age or things change. Okay, he never changes and he never ages. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was there before time. He does not operate in time, so God can go back. He can heal, he can, but we have to work with God on this. We have to work with God. And what you thought was going to be a bad future, because you're allowing God to heal some things in the past, because you're allowing him to heal your heart, your future's actually going to be better than it would have been had you not made that mistake, had you not gone through that difficulty. Um, remember God and Moses, when they met, Moses said, who are you? He said, I am. I am that I am. I'm everything. I'm everywhere. I, I, I'm, I'm beginning and end. I'm everything you see. I'm, I'm, I'm in all. I don't operate in time. Uh, when Lazarus died, his, he was dead for four days. Now, whether he was dead for four days or 4,000 days makes no difference to God. The point is, in his past, something horrible happened. And it looked like because in his past, four days before, like because he died that day, his future wasn't going to be that good. But you know what God did? God went back to that death in the past. And he brought life to Lazarus, and Lazarus rose up out of the grave. And let me tell you, his future was way better being alive than it was dead. God went back to something that happened in his past and changed it. Said, nope, this isn't how it's going to end. This isn't how it's going to be. I'm going to bring life to Lazarus. So I have, I have a, a, a part one today for your notes. Part one is this. We're going to talk about condemnation. Condemnation. Um, condemnation, uh, it causes our past sin to affect our potential future. 
It causes us to make different choices in life because of the sin in the yesterday. In other words, uh, we don't trust God as much because of the mistakes we've made. We don't lift our hands in worship because we don't feel worthy because of something we did yesterday, last week, last year. Uh, and, and, and we don't worship because we're perfect. We worship because he's perfect. So don't ever lift your hands because it's you. You lift your hands because it's him. We don't tithe and honor him with our finances because we think, how could, how could he honor me? How could he bless me after what I've done? And our faith isn't where it is. We don't choose to pray big prayers anymore. We were praying big prayers before we made that mistake. And now because of that mistake, we don't pray big prayers anymore. Webster's definition of condemnation, not the Bible, but Webster's is this. To be punished, to be disapproved of, or to declare unfit for use. You know, you went through that divorce, so now God's not going to be able to bless your future. You blew your diet. You know, you said you were going to fast for seven days. You only fasted for three. You know, those other Christians in that church, they're, they're so much more holy than you are. You know, you lost your temper. And it's this continuous guilt that prevents us from God's blessings. It's this, and we don't even realize we're carrying it around sometimes, but it does affect our worship, our giving, our serving. It affects our prayer life. Um, it's like this lady I heard about. She, she said, God, you know, I've done really great so far. Um, I haven't cussed anybody out today. I haven't complained and I haven't worried about anything. I haven't had any lustful thoughts. She was from up north, by the way. I haven't had any lustful thoughts. I haven't had any fearful thoughts. I've refused to gossip. I've refused to be critical. I've refused to be judgmental. But God, I'm really going to need your help because I'm about to get out of bed. <clears throat> and you know what? Condemnation causes us to focus on the sin rather than the one that took away our sin. When you're focused on the sin, it'll always keep you where you're at. When you're focused on your sin, your mistakes, your past, it'll prevent you from going forward. But when you focus on the one who took away your sin, he will deal with those things going on in your life a lot quicker and your future will be far greater than your past. But you got to think, what have you been focusing on? Are you focusing on all the great things of God and what he's done for you and his blood was shed for you? Or are you focused on your mistakes, what you should have done differently in the past? I have three points for you today for your notes. Point number one is this, the accuser. The accuser. Um, it says in Revelation 12, 10, the, 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 Satan is the accuser of the brethren. If anyone's bringing up your past, they are either the accuser or they're listening to the accuser. If it's something you've asked forgiveness for and someone's still bringing it up or judging you by it or treating you differently because of it, it is from the voice of Satan himself. And, you know, you and I are really good at, um, at shutting off the voice of Satan and the accuser when he says things like, um, you, should, you should stop going to church. Stop going to church. We know that's, that's Satan, right? That's Satan. When he says, um, you should murder your boss. We're like, get behind me, Satan. I know that's for you. At least I think it is, but no, it's definitely you. Okay, but when Satan says this, God's so mad at you. He doesn't want to bless you. He's so disappointed in you. You've done this over and over and over again. He no longer wants to be your father. He no longer wants to do great things in your life. You've ruined your children's life. You've ruined your future. That is the voice of Satan, just as much as all the other things that we know is the voice of Satan. You have to recognize the accuser's voice. I was studying <clears throat> um, a, a survey that was done on women who had had a nervous breakdown in the past 10 years in America. Thousands and thousands of women had a nervous breakdown. It's something that shuts down their whole system to the point where they are just, um, they're almost like comatose. They're just going through the motions of life with no connection to anything or anybody um, because of this, this nervous breakdown. And there was one and only one common ingredient in every single woman that had a nervous breakdown in America in the past 10 years. And that one common ingredient was this. They were all living guilty and shamed about something they had done. Every one of them. They weren't the mother that they should have been. 
Their children are growing up, leaving the nest, and they feel like, oh, I made so many mistakes with my kids. I wish I'd spent more time with them when they were little. They weren't the wife they could have been. Should have treated my husband better. I went through this horrible divorce. On and on, this shame was so overbearing, it shut their entire system down. And I believe there's a demon that the accuser sends on his behalf called the should have demon. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, uh, you know, honored God in this area. I should have given more to the kingdom. I should have worked harder. I should have told my spouse how much I love them more. Should have, should have, should have. That demon will destroy your entire life. Um, when I first started pastoring, I was uh, 26, 27 years old. And this couple came to church like two or three times only. And they came to me one day after service. They wanted wisdom, advice, and counsel. And I said, I don't have any of those three things. You know, find somebody else. I'm only 28. I don't have wisdom. I don't have nothing. Uh, but they wanted to meet with me anyway. They pretty much demanded a meeting. The husband really, really wanted to talk to me. So they're in my office. And the husband started off saying, I desperately want a child with my wife. But she doesn't want to have a child. And so I thought maybe there were, you know, complications physically or whatever. And the husband said, not only that, but we, we, she won't even be intimate with me. And we're married. She won't even be intimate. So I asked her, I said, well, what's the problem? You know, what's going on? And she started crying. Here's what she said. 20 years ago, I had an abortion and I don't deserve to ever have a child again. She was 15 years old when it happened, 15 years old. And now she's punishing herself, her husband, her relationship, her marriage, her future. And I said, lady, whether it was 20 years ago, 20 minutes ago, 20 days ago, if you've asked forgiveness, move on. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants to heal your life. You got to let that go. Ephesians 6 is the, where we, we pray on the armor of God. Every day we're supposed to pray it on. And Ephesians 6, 14 says this, put on the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate of God's approval. That means every day we're supposed to verbally declare and pray, Lord, thank you that, that God has approved of me. Not because of my righteousness, but because the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because I'm, when you're married to somebody, you get benefits like, like tax write-offs and things like that, you know. But when you're married to Jesus, you get his righteousness on your life. And every day we're supposed to pray that on. Now, Revelation 3.18 tells us that spiritually, the breastplate of righteousness covers up our shame. In other words, he's taken away all your... If you have shame, it's from the devil. So, so, so spiritually, that's what the breastplate covers. Physically... In the natural, the breastplate covers up your heart, your physical heart, your chest, your heart. Now, would God tell a Roman soldier, let's say, to put on a breastplate every day of your life if there was even one day that that Roman soldier would be a perfect soldier? In other words, if a, a perfect soldier knows exactly when to jab, when to duck, when to move, if he were a perfect soldier, would he need to wear a breastplate over his heart? No. And God said, every day before you were born, I knew you would sin every single day. And I also know the accuser is going to come against you every single day. That's why you have to pray every single day that God has approved and accepted me because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my life. Every day we got to pray that. I heard about these three men that were each walking along the side of the road and they were carrying two bags. They had this long pole across their shoulder and there was a bag on the front and the bag in the back. And somebody asked the three men, what are in your two bags? And the first man said, well, in my front bag, I have all the bad things that I've done, all my sins, all my mistakes. In my back bag, I have all of the, the good things, the blessings, the miracles God's done in my life. He said, well, because I'm always looking at the bad things, I never go anywhere. I'm afraid to step forward, afraid to ever move. 
They asked the second guy, well, what's in your bag? The second guy said, well, in my bag, in my front bag is all the good things, all the miracles, all the blessings God's done. In my back bag is all of my sins, all of my mistakes, all the horrible things that I've done. And he said, even though I can see all the good things, I don't really go far because I'm weighted down because both bags are completely full. I'm always weighted down in this present place. They asked the third guy, you know, what are in your bag? The third guy said, well, in my front bag are all the miracles, all the blessings, all the good things. In my back bag, I cut a hole in it and it's completely empty. And now because I have all this good stuff in the front bag, I'm naturally weighted forward and I'm constantly moving forward in life. Here's one of my encouragement to you. Don't carry around something in your back bag that Jesus has already taken away from you. You know, you have that place in your house, a junk drawer or a closet or something in your house where you keep things you think you're going to need one day, right? You think one day I'll need it. I wore this back in 1979 and one day it might come back in style. It's never coming back in style, man. Go to the mall and buy something new. But that, that, that back bag, that's like carrying around all those things in life on a book bag with things you're never, ever, ever going to need. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. And, and look at that phrase because you're going to see it again. Take away our sins. He's taken it away. Stop taking something back that he's taken away from you. Whoa, that's, that was a fireball preacher moment right there, wasn't it? <laughs> I should have spit on the front row while I was saying it. It would have been great. John 1.29 says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the reason Jesus is called the Lamb of God is because in the Old Testament, if you wanted a relationship with a perfect God, because you're imperfect, you had to pay for your sins. It cost you something. So to pay for your sins, you'd have to give up your spotless, most perfect lamb that you own to be sacrificed to pay for your sin. You understand? It, that's only if you wanted a relationship with the perfect God. So you would do something wrong and you would go to the priest and the priest would say, okay, you know, what did you do? And you would say something like, um, you know, I was walking by the Nile River and there was a woman out there bathing and I should have turned around and went the other way, but I didn't. I just kept looking at her and that's what I did. Here's my lamb, you know. And he said to the next guy, what did you do wrong? And the next guy would say, well, um, I was, you know, out on the road and my neighbor's chariot was in front of my chariot and he didn't use his turn signal and I flicked him off and cussed him out. You know, that's what I did wrong. And then you'd, you'd say, okay, here's my lamb. And then the next, you know, a lady would come up and what did you do, ma'am? And she'd say, well, I was driving by the manna from heaven store and the hot sign was on and it was hot and ready. And so I went in and I got two dozen manna from heaven and I ate them all that one night. I know I shouldn't have. <laughs> these things just come to me and um and so here's what they they give the priest the lamb and listen here's the important thing i need you to always i want you to envision this okay the priest never examined the person he always examined the lamb he never looked at the person and said oh are you sincere are you sure you're not going to do this you know tell me but tell me what really you know no he never looked at the person the priest always examined the sacrifice to say, is it worthy or is it not worthy? When God sees you, God does not see your sin. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed out for you 2,000 years ago. That's what he sees when he sees you. So don't walk around, don't act like, don't act like God sees you with all this sin. He doesn't. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, all he sees is Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. Amen. So point number two for your notes is this. <clears throat> point number two is this, the gospel. The gospel. Now, this is where you're going to be tempted to fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Okay, this is the best part of the sermon for me. The gospel. We, we call the gospel the good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. Now, I don't know when is the last time you turned on the news and saw something good. 
uh, as I was studying for this, I was researching when did the news turn into what the news is today? When did that happen? And I researched and I came up with a man. I remember hearing this man's name all growing up. And you can tell me if you ever saw him or knew him. And his name was Walter Cronkite. Does anybody here ever remember? Okay. Oh, but they're old people. Older than me. That's great. Okay. Just making sure. So Walter Cronkite, he was a news anchor. And you know what he was called? You know what they named him? You know what they, they called him? The most trusted man in America. Walter Cronkite was labeled the most trusted man. In How can you get that labeled? The most trusted man. You know why he was the most trusted man in America? Here's what they wrote about him. You tell me if it's true or not. All he told you was the news. He never gave his opinion. He never swayed right or left. He never said, well, I think that you never. All he did was he got the facts and he presented the truth to you. And because he told the truth that he was the most trusted man in America. That amazes me. That man, I don't know what happened in the news now, but Walter Cronkite's not there anymore. So the Greek word for the gospel is euangelion for your notes. Euangelion is the Greek word for the gospel, and um, it, 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 it's, um, it means good news, gospel. It actually means more than that, I'll tell you in a second. But the Greek language is much more sophisticated um, than our English language, English language is. In fact, God chose for the New Testament to be written in Greek. Now, this is really, really cool, so stay with me. Old Testament's in Hebrew, which is God's chosen people. And thank God, of course, the Jews are first. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. We put the Jews first. But thank God, Gentiles get to be a part of the family as well. And so God chose for the New Testament not to be written in Hebrew, but to be written in Greek. It's almost like God was saying, hey, I'm proving to you, it's for the whole world, it's for everybody. Because even our English language, a lot of our words are derived from the Greek. The Greek is very sophisticated. In fact, I'll teach you the Greek alphabet real quick, okay? This can be on the test next week. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi, rho, sigma, tau, upsilon, phi, keep, C, omega. That's the Greek alphabet. That deserves a hand clap, but the second service will probably give it to me. Never mind, don't do it now, too late. Nope, if I have to ask you for it, it's not worth it at all. 24 letters in the Greek alphabet, 26 letters in the American alphabet, of course. And so it's much more sophisticated language. There's more words in Greek. For instance, the word love, okay? There are four major words for love in Greek. There are actually six in total. So four to six words in Greek for love. In our English dialect, we're so sophisticated. We just say, I love my wife, I love hot dogs, and I love Billy Joel. Now, if I were saying that in Greek, I would not use the same word because I love my wife in a different way than I love hot dogs. Unless she has mustard, ketchup, and chili, then I'll love her just as much. But anyway, I'm just joking. And I love Billy Joel in a different way than I love hot dogs in a different way. You with me? So it's Greek's very sophisticated, okay? So euangelion is the messenger. Okay, but don't, don't put that up yet. Euangelion, the gospel, the good news. Euangelion in Greek has two nouns and one verb. The verb, of course, is good because verbs describe the noun good. Everybody say good. good. Okay, there's two nouns. One noun is news. The other noun has to do with a person. It's a messenger. So the, 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 the literal translation of the word gospel in Greek, euangelion, is this. The messenger who brings only good news from the king. Now stay with me because I'm getting to a point, okay? It, the, the, the job of euangelion is to only bring good news. If this messenger brings anything bad, he is not euangelion. He is not the gospel. He can only bring good news. If he brings a message from the king that says, you're in trouble, it is not euangelion. Stay with me, okay? He can only bring good news. Um, I'll give you an example. When World War II ended, uh, television sets were very, very rare. They'd just come out. And so what they would do is they would send messengers from town to town to scream out, the war is over. 
And people would break out in celebration and have parties. And, you know, your father's coming home or your husband's coming home. And people would be so excited they'd be in tears. And then there'd be a messenger from that village who would take the message and go to the next village and say the same thing. And then a different messenger from that village. And on and on they would go. The war is over. There's an example of this in the Old Testament in Hebrew in 2 Samuel 18, 27 that says the king said, this guy's a good guy. He comes with good news. That's an example of Yuan Gileon. Maybe the, maybe the messenger would come in and say, um, the king is coming to visit your village. And people get so excited because the king brings rewards and brings gifts. Or maybe, the, maybe you think about turning on the news and the messenger saying, your taxes are being lowered. And that may never happen. It probably has never happened in the history of the world. But if someone said that, we'd be like, Yuan Gileon. You got it, right? That's Greek. The messenger who, his only job is, he, he cannot bring bad news. The, 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 word, the, the, the word that God chose for gospel, the word that God chose that God chose is the messenger who only brings who only brings good news from the king. That's all he can bring is good news. Okay, um, Christianity is the only religion that brings good news. Now, stay with me. It's the only religion. Now, it's really not even a religion. Christianity is actually a relationship, not a religion. But the secular world uh, describes Christianity as a religion. Religion is actually your attempt to get to God. Christianity is God's attempt to get to you. Um, uh, let me say this. Um, every other religion in the world is all about, and tell me if this is good news to you or not. Every other religion is this. Here's all the things you have to do and you have to become and you have to act on in order to be uh, with a perfect God. That's not very good news. Because by the definition of perfection, um, you can't have imperfection around them just by the definition. So here's all the steps. You've got to pray three times a day. You've got to blow yourself up and kill these people. Whatever it is, you've got to do all. That's not good news at all. And every other religion of the world is you do this to get to God. Christianity is all about what a perfect God did to get to people like me and you. That's good. In fact, let me say this way. Christianity is all about what's already been done for you to live with God. That's very, very good news. Very good news, okay? Um, so you on Gileon, I want to show you another English word that's derived from that, and it's the word evangelist. And you can see, you can put it on the screen, this is how it's derived from that, because um, you on Gileon has four letters, in the, five letters in the middle, A-N-G-E-L, and evangelist has A-N-G-E-L in the middle. So that word comes from, you know, in other words, when you evangelize, you should never bring bad news when you open up to talk to people about Jesus, or else you are not doing your job as an evangelist. Uh, Mark 1.14, Jesus came to Galilee preaching euangelion, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying this, time is fulfilled. And it doesn't say, hell is at hand. Is that, what it's, is that his opening line? Hell is at hand. You know, you don't, you, you're going to hell. Is that what he's telling people? He's saying, no, the kingdom of God is available to you. you. When you evangelize, you don't have to start off. You're going to hell. You're a horrible, wretched sinner. Those are things we learn about. After we start our relationship with God, here's what evangelizing is. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you and he wants you to be in heaven with him for all of eternity. All you got to do is choose him. That's it. That's really good news. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not the gospels. Okay. We call them the gospels, but they were not called the gospels until the second century. So about 200, is everybody still with me? Anybody asleep yet? Okay. So about 200 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, where the Gospels are written, 200 years later, then they were called the Gospels. But they are actually not the Gospel. They were called that. Okay, They were called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the reason they're called that, theologians believe, is because Mark 1, chapter 1, opens up with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But they're not the Gospels. You know what they are? They are the Gospel told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they are not the Gospels. Stay with me. 
They are the Gospels told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? So Euangelion is the messenger who brings only good news from the king. Put it on the screen. Now watch this. Who is the messenger and what's the good news? Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are not the messenger. They are a messenger. They can be an evangelist, but they can't be Euangelion. They are not the gospel. You and I, we are not. We are not the messenger. Who, it doesn't say a messenger. In Greek, this is what God chose. It says the messenger, the messenger. And you saw the word angel in there, right? Okay, all through the Old Testament when it says the angel of the Lord, who is that? That's Jesus. Okay, listen, here's what I'm trying to teach you. The gospel is not the story of Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. He only brings good news in your life. You've sinned, he only has good news. You've made a horrible mistake, he only has good news. You thought you've committed the crime of your life, he only has good news. His good news is always, always, I love you, I forgive you, I want to be with you. He can only bring you good news. So for you to run from Jesus or not worship or not give or hide when you do something wrong, you're missing out. The gospel is Jesus. When I'm condemned, when I feel frustrated because of my past, when I'm focusing on what I've done wrong, I don't need the story of Jesus. I don't need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I need Jesus himself. I need the gospel himself in my life. Jesus is the messenger. He is the gospel. So what's the good news then that he brings? What is the good news that he brings from the king? Now, before I tell you the good news, I want to describe what condemnation is in the Bible. The biblical definition for condemnation for your notes is this, is damnation and eternal death sentence. So anytime you damn something, you're declaring an eternal death sentence over it. Don't damn your marriage. Don't damn your checkbook. Don't damn your boss or your employees or your business because you're declaring a death sentence. And don't ever ask God to damn anything in your life, okay? If you do that, please stop doing that. So what's the good news? What, what, is, what, is, what does the messenger bring to us every single time he's with us? What does he bring? Now, John 3.16 is the most famous scripture in the Bible. John 3.17 is actually the good news. Watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to give the world a death sentence. He does not come into your life. He is not with you today to give you a death sentence. But that the world through him would be saved. He who believes in him, the gospel, does not have a death sentence but he who does not believe already has a death sentence because you're born into sin you're born into sin now death sentence when it talks about life and death in the bible death doesn't mean like oh you know i died somebody shot me or stabbed me death is um eternity away from god life is eternity with god okay so understand that okay so he did not come to bring a death sentence let me give you a story that will bring this whole thing together Remember when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and these men, listen, stay, stay with me and, and, and don't envision it. Just hear me out. She was caught. She didn't come to church and repent. She didn't come to church. I've done wrong. She didn't, you know, get on her knees on the side of her bed and pray. Lord, forgive me. She was caught. Everybody say caught. Have you ever, and don't raise your hand. Have you ever been caught doing something wrong? Okay. I said, don't raise your hand. And you just say the word. Yes. People come on, work with me here. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. We all have, right? Let's go ahead and get it out in the open. We've all been caught, right? Whether we've been caught by a person, been caught by God, we've all been caught doing something wrong, okay? She was caught in the act of adultery. Of all things to be called for, that's like the worst, okay? So they're coming to stone her. And Jesus is there, and Jesus says, you can stone her. 
Jesus says you can give her a death sentence. You can condemn her. Any of you can condemn her, but here's what you gotta, here's the kind of person to condemn her. If you've never sinned in your life, you can't, you have the right to condemn this woman. He actually said, you have the right. You can do it if you've never sinned. Just so you know, there is a person who can condemn her. It's the person that's never sinned. And then all these men got up and walked away. And Jesus said to her, does anyone condemn you? Does anyone give you a death sentence? She said, no. And here's, here's the good news, okay? He said this, neither do I condemn you. Now listen, here's what you understand. There was actually a person there who could have done it. The one man who could have given her a death sentence. The one person who can give you a death sentence. He said this, I didn't come to do that. I, didn't I came to give you a life sentence. I have the ability, I have the right to condemn you for what you've done, but that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to give you death, I'm here to give you life. Isn't that amazing? Now, Romans 8, 1, it, it, Romans 8 ends with, chapter, with, verse, um, with verse 39. Okay, I want to read both of those to you. Romans 8, 1 and Romans 39. Romans 8, 1 says this. There is therefore now no death sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's how that chapter of the Bible ends, okay? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in the person you're married to, that is in Christ Jesus. The one you have a relationship with. Now, I want you to think about, just for a second, and this is not a good thing to do, but just for a second, think about the, the greatest sin you've ever committed in life, the most horrible deed you've ever done, and I want you to tell me if that sin is greater than any of these things I'm about to read to you that does not separate us from the love of God, okay? Is your sin greater than this, death or life, angels or demons, present or future, not anything above or below, and just in case you still think your sin is bad, watch this, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love, the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's very good news. It starts with no condemnation. Romans 8 ends with no separation. That's incredible news. Okay, so here's, here's, here's point number three is this, the choice. Now, the accuser or the gospel, the accuser's voice in your life, the gospel's voice in your life, and the choice that you make on which one you're going to listen to is totally and completely up to you. You have the accuser, on, you know, you got the little, the little devil on one shoulder, and you know, I'm on, you know, Jesus and, and the devil are not on the same level, just so you know. You know, we see that in cartoons. Jesus created the devil. He's a created being. They are not the same. In fact, in the very end time, this isn't even my notes, but in the very end time, when God finally destroys Satan, he sends one of his angels to do it. One of his, I can see Jesus up there, and they're like, okay, it's time to kill Satan. And Jesus says, who are we gonna, who are we gonna send? And, and God says, send the new guy, the little guy, just send the little angel. And the smallest angel up in heaven is the one that goes and destroys Satan, okay? So they're not on the same level. But which one are you gonna listen to? Which one are you gonna listen to? Now, um, in 1833, there was a, um, a federal train robbery. I think it was filled with mail and things like that. And there was a man named George Wilson who was part of that, that robbery. He wasn't the main guy, but he was somehow talked into being a part of this robbery. And during the robbery, one of the bank, one of the, um, the, the train guards, um, the federal guards got killed. He got killed. So all the guys, 1833, all the guys um, got sentenced and they all got the life, the, the death sentence. They're all condemned to die. And then when it came to George Wilson, in court, you know, they said, okay, you're guilty. Uh, you're gonna be hung, hanged, whatever the word is. You know, you're gonna be killed. And, and through, a, through a, a series of events, 
and public compassion um, and then finding out that George Wilson really wasn't the main guy, President Andrew Jackson himself uh, gave or offered George Wilson a pardon. Even though someone died and even and other guys were, were put, given the death sentence because of what happened. However, um, President Andrew Jackson told George Wilson, you don't have to die. I'm giving you a pardon. You're not going to have a death sentence. This is free. This is free for you. The court ruled you're guilty. The court says you're condemned. But the president says, I'm giving you a pardon. George Wilson refused the pardon. It was in the middle of court. They're like, what are you, what are you talking about? We don't understand. You refuse the pardon. You're, 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 you're going to be hung. You're going to be killed, man. The president himself said you can have this pardon. It was such a big ordeal. The Supreme Court had to rule. Because they didn't know, can someone not be killed if they, if they don't receive the pardon? How does that work? He was condemned, but he, there's a pardon available and he doesn't want it. What do we do with him? And here's how the Supreme Court ruled. The value of a pardon is dependent upon the receiver. George Wilson refused to accept the pardon. Therefore, George Wilson will die. And every single day, we have a pardon available to us. The breastplate of righteousness, God's approval through nothing that we have done. Jesus, and, and I love the fact that he did it. <laughs> Already knowing everything we would do. While we were yet sinners. So you're in court. And God is the judge, and he's about to rule on your life. Because remember, if you're imperfect in any way, you can't be with perfection in a perfect place called heaven. You, you can't, because you're imperfect, so you can't be there, okay? So the judge is about to rule. And listen, and for him to find out if you're imperfect, he doesn't look at the video of your entire life, just so you know. He picks about 30 seconds. You know, uh, 1984, February 1st, from 8 p.m. to 8.01 p.m. Let's go, oh, they're a sinner. <laughs> They're not perfect. Because you know what? God can see the motives of your heart. He can see what you think. He can hear what you say behind closed doors. He knows it all. So don't think that he has to look at your whole life. He has to look at this much of it to know you're imperfect. And he's about to rule. And all of a sudden, his son Jesus steps up and says, I will take their sentence. And the father says, but son, their sentence is death. And Jesus says, I know. I'll do it. And here's what you're thinking. Well, I don't want him to have to die for me. I want to pay for my sins. Okay, here's what Jesus would say. I've already done it. You might as well receive it. See, the, the bad news is this. You were born with a death sentence. The good news is this. You were born again with a life sentence. God hits the gap. When you say yes to Jesus, he hits the gavel and he looks at you and says this. You are now sentenced to eternity in heaven, a city not made by human hands or by the hand of God. A place where a mansion is built and waiting on you. You are sent. You have to go to heaven for all of eternity because you chose Jesus. Yeah. That's good news. Psalms 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. No matter what you've done, past, present, or what you're going to do in the future. If you will receive the gospel, he will only bring good news. And that is your sins have been removed from you. Amen? Amen. 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 That's condemnation. We don't want any part of it, do we? No, we do not.